the words never seem to matter and still don't his music communicates the emotion and i have felt it i know that's exactly what the entire world felt when they heard jai ho i have been feeling that in every album of his hello and welcome to my podcast mysorian talks i am your host aditya This is episode 2 where we talk about the second part of AR Rahman and me. In a quick recap of the last episode, we talked about where we first heard AR Rahman and we heard the captivating Spirit of Unity concerts theme music too. In this episode, we will travel back in time for a bit to talk about Roja and a few stories about how it came together. Roja for the uninitiated is a Tamil movie which had music by AR Rahman. It was his debut film music album which went on to become a sort of a milestone in Indian movie music history. At the international level, it is listed among the top 100 music albums of all time by Time magazine. To understand why Roja is such a big deal, we actually need to go to a time before Roja. Say one or two years before Roja was released, what kind of music was playing? How was this music being made? How were we listening to them? what kind of a world were we living in what was the entertainment scene looking like in india so let's get talking it was the year 1990 the last decade of the 20th century india was still an unknown commodity in the world a 43 year old country that was dealing with a midlife crisis sachin tendulkar had just made his cricketing debut kapil dev was reaching the fag end of his career Amir Khan had made his debut as a chocolate hero with Kayamat Se Kayamat Tak. Shah Rukh Khan was a TV actor. Salman Khan was the newest rage with Maine Pyar Kiya. The Khandam was yet to be formed. Amitabh Bachchan had returned to films briefly after dabbling in politics unsuccessfully. In the film world Anil Kapoor seemed to be gaining in popularity with a string of successes like Meri Jung, Karma, Mr India, Teza, Bandram Lakhan. Jackie Shroff launched by Subhash Gai was also quite a popular star. This was how Bollywood looked. I mean Hindi cinema. One day we shall talk about the use of this word Bollywood and what it means. In South India, mainly the Tamil film industry, Rajinikanth wasn't yet the star we know him to be. His antics and styles were well known and quite popular. He was a commercial success. Basha was yet to come. Kamal Hasan was the more established star. if i may say so his body of work was something of a wonder over and above that he had made massive strides in crossing over from the south to the hindi film industry with ek dujhe ke liye and sadma nobody had done that yet kamalasan was always experimentative he had released a movie called michael madan kamarajan which is a cult comedy today it had kamalasan playing four roles i remember watching that movie and laughing till i had tears in my eyes I watched it as a Telugu movie that was dubbed from Tamil. He had made a silent movie Pushpak, a movie where he was at war for Purva Sahodarangal and a movie that was based on a Tamil speaking don in Mumbai, Nayagan, which was also a Maniratnam tribute to Godfather. His body of work is somewhat unsurpassable, I think. There are current stars who are supposed to match up to a Rajni or a Kamal. Let's take a look at where Vijay and Ajit were in the 90s. Vijay was a child actor. while ajit had acted in one movie where he had appeared in one scene 
Chennai was still the film capital of South India. It was called Madras then. Tamil, Telugu, Malayalam and Kannada cinema would be made here. The respective capitals of cinema in their states were yet to emerge as movie making was still very studio based compared to an outdoor location based approach which would see movie budget shooting up. Chennai had established studios like AVM, Prasad, Barani and others. Ramoji Film City in Hyderabad came up only in the latter half of the 90s. Chiranjeevi was the mega star in Telugu with Venkatesh just making inroads. Nagarjuna was around as an actor. It was Geetanjali and Shiva. The success of these two movies that made him a superstar. The trio was just getting formed to take the industry by storm. Mahesh Babu was 9 years away from making his debut as a film actor. He had already done a few roles as a child actor. Pawan Kalyan was not even on the scene. Junior NTR was a toddler. I don't consider Prabhas worth talking about even now. It was an era of personalities. A small mention here about the lack of female personalities. The society was dominated by icons. Shri Devi had carved a niche for herself. She was the first female actor icon. Her movies could see massive crowds on the opening day like Mr. India, Chal Baas, Chandni, Lamhe. There were movies that were massive blockbusters only because Shri Devi was in it. Madhuri Dixit had just made herself known through Tezap with the Ek Do Teen song after a string of failures. Apart from Jai Prada before them, it was quite a poverty of female stars in the country. The roles that they played were mainly meant to provide visual relief. Shri Devi and Madhuri Dixit broke that mold to a great extent. Smita Patil, Shabana Azmi and Deepthi Naval were all involved with what was called the parallel stream of cinema, the art cinema. Popular cinema still viewed women as objects and many would argue that we still do so in the 21st century. The popularity quotient however always rested with the male actors. It was the male actors who were showcased on a poster or in the trailers before the movie actually came out. They were what drove the industry commercially. It is sad but a true representation of the Indian society. In a larger sense, our society is still structured to continuously reward popularity. In the 90s, it was all the more pronounced because the internet was not still a thing. Information was controlled, a single government controlled channel dominated every medium of entertainment, Doordarshan in TV and All India Radio in radio. It was only in the print medium that we saw some variety of voices and that's I think because the investment was not so easily available to start businesses as it is today. Government was the only investor and taxpayer money was used to communicate to the citizens. India was coming off wars with our neighbors, Pakistan and China. The issue of Kashmir was a burning issue. Kashmiri pundits were sent out of their homes in Kashmir. Pakistan was insistent on taking over Kashmir. China would attack India and Russia would emerge as the key supporter for us. This Russian support is what in a way held us back from openly supporting Ukraine in today's ongoing war. This was overall where we were in the year 1990 as a country and in entertainment. Let's take a quick look at where the music scene was in the next section. In 1990, before Rahman made his debut, the famous names in Hindi music were Anand Milin, Nadim Shravan and Ram Lakshman. 
Ram Lakshman is actually one person, whereas the other two are duos. Anand Milind had gained fame through their massive success in Kayamat Se Kayamat Tak and followed it up with albums like Baghi, Dil and Beta. Dak Dak Karne Laga, the famous song with the famous Madhuri Dikshit chest heaving movement, uh, was actually a copy. It was inspired from its Telugu counterpart. Uh, but who can forget the entire scene and the dance and the choreography and that whole, you know, the image, the visual that you're, you are thinking of right now. Nadim Shravan were in fact more prolific with massive hits like Ashiki, Sajan, Full or Kante, Sadak, Divana and Dilhe Ki Manta Nahi. I remember these albums like they were yesterday, all of them dominated by mostly Kumar Sanu's voice. SPB here and there with Sajan, wherever Salman Khan was there, SPB became the voice of Salman Khan. After Ram Lakshman introduced him as the voice of Salman Khan in Mene Pyarkia, Ram Lakshman was in fact very popular as a music director. His albums sold in the millions, like Mene Pyarkia and 100 Days sold in the millions. Ram Lakshman was the go-to music director of Suraj Barjatya who made all these family movies. He was the role model for Karan Johar. Whatever Karan Johar makes today in terms of family emotions and all that, in a way the presentation is mounted on a scale that he has learned from Suraj Parjatya. R.D. Burman, Lakshmikan, Paralal and Shankar J. Kishan were on the decline. Kishore Kumar and Mohammad Rafi were no more. In a way, the golden era of music had just ended. The era of melody had seen some truly timeless melodies. In a way, these people, Nadim Shravan, Anand Milin and Ram Lakshman were trying to carry the flame forward. But somehow their music seemed conflicted with what kind of output was coming from them. There was melody and there was emotion, but their music was reduced to dinchak sounds compared to the earlier golden era of music. And it was not just comparatively that it was dinchak. It was some sort of a conflict that these music composers were facing at that point of time. Technology had just made its entry into the industry. These music directors were trying their best to hold melody up while using technology to keep up. Computer music was looked down upon. The harmonium-wielding musicians were considered to be the true custodians of melodious music. The samples and loops-based music was considered as music made by a machine more than a human being. The song recording was still being done at one shot like in the yesteryears, as in all the singers and instrumentalists had to be present in one place at one time to record the entire song. You could have takes and retakes, but yeah, the final song was performed and recorded at once. It was like a live concert being recorded and the version they worked on would be the final master song for the cassette. Technology would then just be used for a bit during the post-production to clean up some obvious errors or some breathing sounds into the songs or something like that. But the original song had to still be based on the singers and the instrumentalists best shot on that day. In a way, the music directors of that day didn't know how to work around this. That's possibly because they grew up in an era listening to the Muhammad Rafis and the Kishore Kumars of the world and assumed that that's how the best music is produced. You just have a moment, the music was all about that moment, the perfection of that moment and since they would try to produce music, they were actually capturing the sound that was being produced in that moment. 
I also think that their own exposure to technology was minimal during their formative years, so they didn't quite know which way to go. This dilemma you can see and experience in the music of the late 80s and the early 90s. Not to say that good music wasn't being produced, just that the handle on things happening around them versus the way that they were used to producing music was not quite in sync. Hence, the Dinchak music. Even today when somebody says, hey, play some 90s songs, they actually mean play those Dinchak songs. That was how music was, film music was in the 90s. There were, however, some breakout sounds emerging too. We must not forget that. Uh, Sunita Rao had released her Pari Hume song, which was a rich. Baba Segal was on with his Thanda Thanda Pani with the guitar riffs inspired from the Queen band's song Under Pressure. I guess the guitar riffs were available as samples, but if you thought only the riffs were copied, check out a song called Ice Ice Baby, which was also inspired by Under Pressure. I think the vocal and percussion tracks came from Ice Ice Baby. Baba Segal smartly put everything together in Hindi to become a rap singing icon. What this was indicative of was people were desperately trying to sound international or globally relevant or quite simply put contemporary. Not many of them successfully cracked it. Other than copying and being inspired, original compositions that sounded different and were wildly popular was a small subset of the overall sound we were largely hearing. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because I grew up on this music. These, this music has a lot of fond memories for me. And since I was in Mysore, I was also exposed to the South Indian music scene. The sound of South Indian music seemed far more evolved beyond Dinchak. In fact, saying that they were uh, more evolved seems to be romanticizing the South Indian music. I would like to think that South Indian music carried the melody along on the shoulders of legends that continued to operate. There wasn't a vacuum like we saw in Bollywood. Raja was the biggest influence here. He was from the golden era of the 70s. He is a certified musical genius. Fans of his music swear by him even today. They claim that some of his songs move them so much that they have become attached to his music. I don't disagree with them. I cannot disagree with them. In fact, I respect their feelings. I can see and understand how they feel that way because that's exactly how I feel about Rahman's music. So replace Rahman for me with Ilya Raja for them and we are all at the same place. At a place where music takes us places. It could be Ilya Raja's music for them. It is Rahman's music for me. We are blessed to be in the presence of such musical legends. Ilya Raja composed music across languages, dominated the Tamil music industry, but was also prolific in Malayalam, Telugu and Kannada. Amruta Varshini in Kannada is an album that I cannot forget. Geetanjali and Shiva were two Telugu music albums that I am still attached to. Can't get over them. Ilya Raja was behind the biggest hits of the 70s and the 80s. Kiravani, a music director in Telugu, was someone I liked a lot. His Kshanakshanam album, Considered to be his first hit was the al album I remember listening to in a loop. Even today, sometimes I go back to that album just to remember those things that I felt when I was listening to them during those years. The album takes me down a memory lane. He followed it up with Gharana Magudu, which was another massive hit. I had a cassette that had Kshanakshanam on side A and Gharana Magudu on side B. He used different names when he composed for different languages. I don't know why he did that, but he did that. Maragada Mani in Kannada and M.M. Cream in Hindi. 
Rajkoti, the duo were the ones ruling the Telugu film industry then. They were the most sought after duo. They were like the Anand Milind of the South. Prolific and popular, but the true gems came from people like Elia Raja or Akiravani. SPB, S. Janaki and K.S. Chitra would be the prominent voices you heard. Every track would have SPB and one of these two female singers. Though I, I never felt it then, today when I look back, I feel that we could have done with a bit more variety on the playback singers front. The style of recording and putting music out there was not very different in South Indian music industry either. Harmonium was more respected. The keyboard was seen as an instrument that produced artificial sound, not the real sound. Keyboards were played by the youngsters. The true custodians of music were those with grey hair and knowledge of classical music. Like in every field across ages, emerging technology was viewed with quite an amount of pessimism. Youngsters were hired to play those instruments that the elder lot didn't quite understand. Who was that youngster that was hired across music directors? What did he do? Don't tell me you don't know this. Yes, it was A.R. Rahman. A.R. Rahman enters the scene. Let's talk about Rahman's early days in our next section. A.R. Rahman, as we learnt in our previous episode, was an ad jingle maker. We also heard some jingles he made. He was inspired by the likes of Mozart up to Michael Jackson and trained by music directors like Ilya Raja, Raj Koti and others when they asked him to manage the keys aspect of their music. Rahman was always interested in technology. He claims that he wanted to become a computer engineer as was the trend those days. The most monetizable form of education was computer engineering. But thank goodness he didn't go there. His father had some musical equipment which Rahman would play around with all the time in his little studio. During those days, he worked with fellow youngsters like Rajiv Menon and Bharat Bala who were ad filmmakers. Rahman would go on to give some iconic music to certain advertisements. This ad stint helped build his social capital. Friends like Sharda Trilok and Trilok Nair who proved to be pivotal in his journey by introducing him to Maniratnam came through the ad stint that Rahman had. Maniratnam was coming off a rift with his music director of 11 films, Elia Raja. Each of those films had super hit music. Maniratnam, Elia Raja was a combination that the industry had come to respect and wait with bated breath for their next announcement. But here was Mani looking out for a new music director for a movie he was making called Roja. He was staffing this movie with complete newbies right from the main protagonist to the music director, probably dictated by the low-budget requirement of the production house, Kavitalaya Productions. Kavitalaya Productions was K. Balachandar's production house, the one who had introduced Kamalasan and Rajinikanth to the movie industry. As a film director, K.B., as he was known, had broken many hallowed grounds and gone where no traditional movie maker had gone with his stories and scripts and screenplay. He was a legendary filmmaker and this movie Roja was seen by Maniratnam as a tribute to the great filmmaker's production house from his side. As far as Maniratnam was concerned, he wasn't confident that the Kashmir issue in the movie had a market down south. So commercially, the film was pushing certain boundaries that weren't hitherto touched and Maniratnam was risking quite a bit in this movie on all fronts. At this juncture, Maniratnam was introduced to A.R. Rahman by Sharda Trilok. 
she is supposed to have told him money you should listen to this kid at a party hosted by her rahman invited maniratna mogul to his home studio which he had set up in his car shed at kodambakkam rajiv menon and rahman were there when they played the initial versions of the songs of roja to mani maniratnam is supposed to have quietly heard all of it and just as quietly as he heard them he got up and left the studio saying okay we don't know what okay meant rajiv and rahman looked at each other wondering what had just happened did the director just walk out without saying a word rahman asked rajiv when did i do sonnara what dad did he say anything rajiv said illada enkite edume sollala unkite edavudu sonnara noda not to me did he say anything to you rajiv said rahman said illada unkite edavudu sollirpar nenache and smiled his trademark smile noda i thought he might have said something to you is what rahman said both the gentlemen were shocked by what had happened they they thought maniratnam probably did not like what rahman had played but we know how much maniratnam liked what he heard he has spoken in many interviews about this sounds that he heard coming from that speaker in that car shed in kodambakkam he said that he had never heard the quality of sound that he was hearing in that little studio anywhere earlier ladies and gentlemen that's how roja happened look at where we are today ar rahman is the most recognizable global entertainment icon from india the baton has passed on from the legendary raj kapoor to amitabh bachchan to shahrukh khan to ar rahman that's where this man has reached with his music how did he become so successful what makes rahman tick i will attempt to give this a shot in the next section to the best of my understanding why do i think rahman is successful what makes him tick how does he connect to the 8 to 10 year olds of today in the same way as he connected with a 10 year old me 30 plus years ago it would be entirely wrong to say that i know the answer to this question i wonder if anyone knows the answer to this however i would like to attempt this because i have heard rahman extensively here is what i understand of what rahman has done it's a 10 point breakdown of what i think rahman has done point number 1 he made voice into another instrument did not fuss about the perfect pronunciation if the voice communicated the emotion rahman was done for example i followed his music for years together before i learned tamil to an extent even today my tamil is sketchy the words never seem to matter and still don't his music communicates the emotion and i have felt it i know that's exactly what the entire world felt when they heard jai ho i have been feeling that in every album of his point number 2 recording process was broken up into pieces when i say broken up into pieces i mean batch processing right to assume that every best instrumentalist or vocalist would be available to him as a young and upcoming music director was not viable for him but he was committed to the sound he produced and he wanted to settle for nothing but the best so he would record different pieces of a song whenever the best person suited for it was available this also enabled him to re-record and redo a part of a song if he felt it wasn't working hence what you hear from rahman always sounds so well thought of and well rounded every note lands and every beat hits you right where he wants it to point number 3 song structure was reinvented according to the flow 
he didn't stick to the conventional song structure where the opening lines mukda in hindi or pallavi in tamil come first and then the stanzas follow which is the antra or the charanam follows again by a repetition of the opening lines and then there's an interlude of music that plays so he didn't do this mukda antra or the pallavi charanam pallavi right he didn't do that gulzar who has worked with legends like rd burman onwards creating classics by collaborating with such music directors said that rahman took this mold of antra mukda antra or pallavi charanam pallavi took the mold and broke it rahman songs flow like a river in a forest the sound brings a certain sense of fulfillment to one listening to it point number 4 the raga was not the entirety of the song the feeling or the story became the central idea and the raga was used to bring the feeling out what i mean here is this and i will try to explain it with an example if you take the song hai rama from rangila the tune of the song isn't especially uh, rousing in isolation the raga itself pantuvarali like all ragas usually is a prayer from the soul to the divine it's when the percussion is added to it that the song suddenly attains its fullest form of being erotic and intense the rhythm becomes the chassis on which the raga drives the song hariharan's voice makes the raga go from carnatic classical to its cousin in hindustani classical the puriya dhanashri so the raga itself is suitably modified to get to where the song needs to go no strict rules use the raga percussions and the voice to deliver the wholesomeness point number 5 music direction became a patient post production process rather than a one shot defined performance rahman used technology here which he was very proficient in first of all to get everyone in a room at the same time and get all of them to be at their best was not something that was a practical possibility Rahman would record each piece when he wanted and then put them all together later and while putting them back together if he felt he needed to add a tabla rhythm or get a guitar riff into the song he would still do it thus giving the song a sense of fullness to it he just perfected the process of post production in fact many directors have complained that they never have the song when they need it rahman takes all the time he needs to perfect the song it's not like a wham bam thank you ma'am process it's about savoring the music making process dwelling on each aspect and extracting the best out of it rahman is like the og of slow cooking just that he cooked this music and we are relishing it so much point number 6 lyrics were modified to get the sound rahman insisted with the lyricist for an anchor word that could be often repeated in the song for example chhaiya chhaiya mustafa mustafa hamma hamma rukmani rukmani and i can go on you know uh, the tracks that are famous coming from an ad jingle music background rahman felt most comfortable when his music has anchor words that could be repeated instead of a percussion sound there he would use the voice to say those words repeatedly it needn't have to be the same word either for example in kalluri salai from kadal desam it's the words kalluri salai snehidane from alai payade this these songs revolve around a certain anchor word and guess what so does jai ho point number 7 a song could change rhythm within the song 
this has been done so many times this could have also been a sub point of the point on a song having its own flow right but i wanted to point this aspect out separately because sometimes the song may not have a very uh, flowy nature but the beat has changed look at tt from tiruda tiruda it's a lullaby with a heavy almost overbearing kunnakol sound being played out intermittently the song is elevated again by rhythm by the rhythm by the percussions and the rhythm is different for each section of the song take the case of rangila's title song the guitar riff is providing the rhythm the percussion is only elevating the rhythm and then the guitar riffs go to the background when the percussions take the center stage all the while the vocal of the great legendary asha bhosle ji is holding the song together it's simply amazing how the song could even be thought of that way and just when i thought that rahman couldn't better himself on the srangila title song i heard him reinvent the song in a live concert the original song revolves around the words rangila re isn't it the song in the live concert revolves around yai re which seems like something of a mere sound being said out loud by the singer to build up towards rangila re in the original version the reinvented song now refuses to leave my head it's the yahire that stays this man can play with his own compositions and make either of those sound equally interesting what a genius a small recommendation here is to listen to decoit duel a track from warriors of heaven and earth to know exactly what i mean you can feel the build up the war and the end in one single track of 3 minutes Point number 8 the violin sound was literally relegated to the background Rahman used violin very sparingly maybe because according to his assessment we saw a lot of it from music directors that were there before him even in his evergreen bombay theme music the flute and the bass guitar make the base of the sound violin was usually used to invoke melancholy Rahman brought in the flute and gave it a supporting bass sound by using the bass guitar or the keys which elevated the melancholic emotion or he just used vocals instead if you listen to the riots theme music in bombay's background music you will see how shankar mahadevan's voice has been used to invoke feelings of sadness and anger while the rhythm brings in the intensity point number 9 being a director's music director rahman could understand the story and deliver what was relevant to the story rather than making the music and trying to fit a story around it for instance Rakesh Om Prakash Mehra says that when he narrated Rangde Basanti to Rahman Rahman was in parallel working something on the piano and within 20 minutes of the narration being over Rahman came up with some music which became the crux of the Rubaru song and went on to be known as the theme music of Rangde Basanti Maniratnam has said that the way Rahman composes background music is that he picks a particular part of the movie that he likes and begins composing from there it is not a linear process scene one scene two scene three it is the way that he brings it all together in the end that is an astounding end result and that's something that we as listeners kind of experience when we listen to his music point number 10 open sourcing his music via collaborations rahman has collaborated with literally every musician worth their salt this has added to his own variety of music rahman has a bit of every one in his music michael jackson to the to dakshinamurthy to msv to ilayaraja to coldplay to mick jagger to william to hans zimmer to japanese symphony orchestra to andrew lloyd webber to some german musicians rahman has collaborated with 
anybody he can get his network to in the indian music scene he brought in singers and instrumentalists and sound engineers by the hordes the standard spb janaki or the spb chitra mold was broken here in roja itself he broke that mold the collaborations were there for everyone to see he printed their names on the cassette covers people worked with rahman because he made their careers visible and from there they could build their own careers collaborations for, not for the sake of it but he literally hoped and got the best done for them this was kind of an open source revolution in music by rahman like the gamut of singers and instrumentalists today that exist in the film industry are almost all of them because of him instrumentalists are getting their due today there are a whole, there is a whole new band of singers that are making their mark in the industry today recognition that music is a collaborative process and not just one man's intellectual process output has also happened due to rahman this is what i can think up for now the 10 pointer to rahman's formula of being successful since i'm going to be putting this podcast on the internet i have to say this however irrelevant and stupid i might come across by saying this by saying whatever i have said here i don't mean to say ilai raja didn't do any of this or that rahman is better than him or anything i am not at all comparing rahman himself admits that he learned from the maestro i have a lot of respect for ilai raja and his music too just that i haven't heard him enough having said all that i also feel that if there was no ilai raja there would be no rahman if there was no ms there wouldn't have been an ilai raja it is how legacy works like gavaskar tendulkar kohli legacy cannot exist where there is no history like sobers richards and lara each one builds on the other one so please let this episode focus on rahman's legacy thank you i have written a small poem on rahman which i would like to read in the next section a r rahman If at all I ever believed in God I would place Rahman instead maybe not him but his music It comes close to you it sits down with you finds a small opening and gets into you then from within it takes you over like a cyclone swirls you along beats you to the ground heavily and as swiftly as ever lifts you up to the skies making you feel light You can drown in his music and float in it too In the next section which is also the last section of this podcast we talk about the recommendation for the weekend the recommendation for this weekend is a tamil movie tiruchitrambalam starring dhanush nitya menon prakash raj and bharati raja with such an ensemble cast of actors it is tough to go wrong and this movie hits the mark just right a simple story about a food delivery boy trying to find love dhanush has played this role to perfection as expected Though this role I must admit is more in the Vijay Sethupati or the Shiva Kartikeyan domain but looks like Dhanush wants to keep rediscovering his phenomenal acting skills by playing such characters once in a while by the very nature of the character he does not dominate every frame there are accomplished actors in the cast who gladly let the camera focus on themselves and hold the audience's attention with equal if not more performance in their acting the director is in no special hurry to complete the story and that is adequately demonstrated in the way the story moves 
The choice of locations to shoot the colony-based story is specially commendable as it brings believability to the entire frame. Nitya Menon is a live wire. After Madhuri Dixit, Vidya Balan and Sai Pallavi, if there is one actor who can light up the screen with a smile and presence, then that's Nitya Menon. Smashing performance by her. Good to see her back in action after a long time. Prakash Raj and Bharti Raj are extremely dependable as always. A nice light watch for a weekend. Please go find the movie in the theatres and watch it. Or even if you find it on an OTT, which I don't know where it is available, this is a movie worth spending your time on. You will come out of it feeling positive. Please watch Tiruchitrambaram. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of Mysorean Talks. Thank you for listening. Tune in to Mysorean Talks every Friday. I am on Facebook and Instagram as Mysorean. I also have a Facebook page for the podcast called Mysorean Talks. Facebook.com slash Mysorean Talks and you'll find me. Please like the page and stay connected for more and frequent updates. You can also connect with me on Mysorean.com. Come, say hi, let's get talking.